listening to Ouija Brats. This is Devin. This is Liz. And Liz, I have stories to tell you, but guess what? what? I, ju- I just got back from the second annual International Cryptozoology Conference in yeah Portland, Maine. That it sounds amazing. It was so cool. It was so cool. Um, well, I went to the conference. It was super cool. Um, there, it was put on by the International Cryptozoology Museum, which mm-hmm. is in Portland, Maine. Um, it was founded by Lauren Coleman, who, if you're interested in cryptozoology, you would know that he's one of the the fathers of cryptozoology. He's probably the best known name in cryptozoology, certainly in America, uh, one of the best known modern names. Uh, he was there. He didn't MC, but he uh, kept everybody on a timetable, so he made <laughs> sure that the you know the speakers were all on time and that our breaks were punctual. And it was really cool to see someone who's so involved. I mean, he is the field, but he was there. Um, you could tell it was his baby. You know, he Aww. was there and really cared about the outcome, which I thought was great. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was a, a Ape Canyon incident was mentioned. It was the topic of a whole uh, presentation, actually. So we kind of talked about that way back when we did the Mount St. Helens episode. Did we? I don't remember it at this point. Can you recap mm-hmm. it for me? Yeah, the Ape Canyon incident was in the, what, 1910s, 1920s, I think. There was a group of miners that were in a mining cabin and also doing work in the area. And for weeks, they had been harassed by what they um, thought was a group of Sasquatch. Um, They heard howls and hoots and rocks were thrown at them. I guess tools went missing, if I'm remembering that part correctly. But the big thing, it culminated one evening in a, what they felt was a coordinated group attack on their cabin. Whoa. um, By Sasquatch. And then over the years, there was a group of Boy Scouts that said that they were camping in the area at the time. And they had thrown a bunch of rocks over a cliff face at one point. And they thought that- The assholes. Maybe. Yeah, right? (laughs) Dicks. Um, they thought maybe that was misinterpreted by the miners. You know, they were in the same area. They didn't mean to throw rocks at miners, but, you know, 50 years later, their scout leader was like, oh, well, we would like to talk a little bit about the Ape Canyon incident and <sighs> the reasons why we might be responsible for it. Uh, that particular talk was, was actually really, um, contentious because the gentleman giving the talk believes that Sasquatch might be an interdimensional being um, on a higher plane of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've talked about that. Yeah, so not not a biological entity, but a, an astral entity. Um, and he talked. There was a there was a young cryptozoologists panel, and it was four kids from the ages of like I don't know the youngest was ten or eleven, and the oldest was in college. Oh, that's cute. And it was it was really really sweet. Um, what I liked was there was uh, the older of the two boys that were giving this panel. He and his dad actually I guess do a Sasquatch. Uh, podcast, so it's a father son Sasquatch podcast called uh, Sasquat S A S Q W H A T, 
adorable, right? That's awesome. I gotta uh, check that out. Yeah, we'll have to listen to that. So here's plugging them without us having listened to it. <laughs> uh, but I really liked what this what this uh, kid had to say. He said that um, he felt you should never answer a mystery with another mystery. Okay. So expand on that. People are saying, yeah, if people are saying that Bigfoot exists, it's it's not. Uh, it's not helpful to the field to say, well, it's an astral being. It's a, it's an interdimensional thing because that's answering its presence with yet another mystery or another thing that you can't prove. Yeah, I see so, that. You can't explain the unexplained with something that needs explanation itself. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Exactly. So it, it exists and it's biological or it's a misidentification slash hoax. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. I thought it was really profound for a kid who, I don't know, was probably 14, 15. That's rad. He sounds like a good critical thinker. He does sound like a good critical thinker. I'm excited to check out his podcast with his dad. What were the attendees there like? Uh, it was sold out. There were 130 tickets. They sold all of them. And there were probably 100 people in the room at any given time. And Liz, I will tell you, they were a lot more normal than I expected. <laughs> they, they, I only saw two questionable hats mm-hmm. um, and one dude wearing wolf ears. And most of the rest of them, I mean, you had your fair share of like awkward folks, but they were just like any other awkward folks with a passion in something specific. They were just mm-hmm. nerding out. Um, oh, I've been to Star Trek conventions. <laughs> you've been to Star Trek conventions. I will tell you that I bet that my conference had people that looked more pedestrian than your Star Trek conference. <laughs> Most of the folks just looked uh, like like you and me. Just hanging. You know, I really expected a lot of folks that either looked super Pacific Northwest woodsy uh, who had t-shirts with wolves on them, who were, I don't know, had like a bunch of the truth is out there or conspiracy theorist buttons on their bucket hats or whatever. And, you know, I met like soccer moms and I met hip young couples and uh, also a lot of single dudes. I sat next to a dude who I I can't remember anything unless I take notes. So I immediately pull out my notebook and I'm writing down stuff for even the introduction. And he leans over and he goes, you must be a reporter, huh? And I was like, no, <laughs> just taking notes so I remember stuff. And that dude found me throughout the day to be like, how's your story coming along? He kept thinking he could like, maybe he was flirting, maybe he was joking, but it felt more like he thought he could trip me up into <laughs> admitting that I was actually there reporting on the conference. I don't know. Well, I mean, you're not entirely not. I think a podcast kind of counts as media, yeah, right? Yeah, I guess it counts. Um, you know, it's not like I'm writing this off as a business expense or... <laughs> or um, but the conference was cool. The International Cryptozoology Museum uh, was a half mile from the conference. So I went there on my lunch break and checked it out. And it was... It was cool. It definitely was a museum that suffered from its layout. Um, 
They have 10,000... Well, you would know. I would know, (laughs) wouldn't I? It's my field. Um, They had 10,000 artifacts in two hallways. Oh, my. Just, you... It was really difficult to um, register what you were seeing, and there were Mm -hmm. enough people there. I mean, there were more than five people there, so you couldn't... You were always rubbing shoulders with someone. You were always... Um, you couldn't step back from the cases to to look at things. You were just right up next to it, uh, uh, and that made it that would stress me difficult. Out. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, still, definitely. Like, if if anybody's on the East Coast, if you're in the area, definitely worth checking out. I was really impressed with what they were um, showing in terms of quantity and artifact. Uh, huh. But still, I mean. I, I needed more than half an hour to really absorb it because it was difficult to take in being that crammed. Well, that's kind of a key to museum design, though, right? Is not just overwhelming visitors, but mm-hmm. giving context mm-hmm. and structure to what they're experiencing. Yeah, absolutely. With museums and with art galleries, you have to have some kind of space for your your eyes to rest so that your mind rests and then processes mm-hmm. it. I mean, we've come a really long way in museum design since the cabinet of curiosities, which is how I would have said this was laid out. You know, it was just every artifact we possibly can crammed into these things. And they were great. Like they were laid out, you know, there was the thylacine case and the Yeti case and the Mothman case. Um, they were very logically laid out and very beautifully displayed, but still, it was just lots and lots of little things all up in an area with no room for mental interpretation or for signage interpretation. That's me at the British Museum. Because, like, at a certain point, you're like, okay, I want to see some highlights, right? Like, I want to see the Rosetta Stone. I want to see yeah. the Elgin Marbles. Yeah. I want to see this stuff. And at a certain point, you're like, what the fuck did every society do prehistorically except make pottery? It's all pottery. <laughs> Stick a look into these little tiny fucking pieces of pottery. Like... <laughs> case after case of pottery and I, I'm like oh is this going in some sort of logical progression or like what the fuck I want to see some bog bodies and I want to see some Greek art that oh, English man. people walked off with no man <laughs> yeah <laughs> do you do this thing so I do this thing and then I later read in one of Bill Bryson's books that he does this also mm. I pretend that I'm allowed to take one thing home and yes. so the whole time I'm like, hmm, now that's a very pretty bracelet. I don't actually do it. Don't come after me, police officers. <laughs> but I'm like, hmm, if I could have one thing from this whole museum, oh, man. what would I take be? with me? Uh, the Museum of Fine Art had a jewelry, uh, a jewelry room, and it was full of the most beautiful Cartier diamonds, uh, I can't even come up with the words for, like, I don't even remember all the designers. I remember Cartier, you know? Mm-hmm. But it was just... Tiffany's, oh, Cartier, Tiffany's. Gold Star, Roscoe. <laughs> Talk to me, Harry Winston. Tell me all about it. <laughs> Atta girl. Do you, I get the Moulin Rouge version stuck in my head, though, and so I always want to say Harry Ziegler instead of Harry Winston. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. Um... Shoot, I don't think I could have picked one thing from mm-hmm. that room. 
That was really pretty. I wouldn't even wear them. I just want to have them. I just want to... What have you told me before? That you're like a dragon sitting on your treasure. Like, I just want to hoard them and have them for me. Devin, I would bet every bit of money in my checking account that if you had, like, the Hope Diamond, you would put it in your mouth. So you want to bet $2. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I was general for a reason. (laughs) Are you denying it, (laughs) ma'am? No! Of course kidding me? I got the Hope Diamond. Fuck yeah, I'm gonna put that in my mouth. (laughs) Everywhere. (laughs) Liz, I have a story for you today, and it's in Oregon. Okay. We've had quite the Oregon run. We have had quite the Oregon run. Um, Oregon's just a cool place, because in one of the earlier episodes, you opened it up to Colorado on occasion. Mm -hmm. Uh, I am so excited to talk to you about... The, uh, the hotel down there that uh, part of The Shining was shot at. So we'll see if that happens in another episode. But I'm going to talk to you about Oregon today. Excellent. A lighthouse sits on a windswept cliff overlooking the Oregon coast. And this 200-foot cliff is backed by a forest. And the beach that's far below is a favorite home of stellar sea lions. Ah! And, uh, Which is pretty cool. But the grounds are home to something else as well. (gasps) In the 1890s, the daughter of an assistant lightkeeper drowned on the shore. And in despair, her mother, Rue, killed herself. Now, 130 years later, Rue's presence remains at the lighthouse. She is known as the Grey Lady of Hasita Lighthouse. Oh, cool. So I want to tell you about Rue and the lighthouse. Um, Hasita, there's more. There's more. There's more. Hasita Head Lighthouse, it's smack dab in the middle of the Oregon coast. If you cut that state in half laterally on the coast would be Hasita Head. It's on a little weird elbow spit of land that actually used to be known as the Devil's Elbow. Um, much nicer name, Hasita. And... <laughs> Like I said, it's it's on this cliff face that's about, well, it's exactly 205 feet above the beach down below. Okay. So you have a 200-foot cliff face, you have a 56-foot lighthouse, and on the top of that lighthouse is the brightest light on the Oregon coast. Wow. It's, it's a beam that shines 21 nautical miles out to sea. That silence is me just going, is there a difference between a nautical mile and a regular mile? And if so, why? <laughs> a nautical mile is, is uh, one nautical mile is 1.15 regular miles. And it's because it's, it's like the, it's a, it's a, a one minute of latitude or some bullshit like that. I don't know. I looked it up specifically for this episode and now I don't remember shit about it. No, I'm uh, already extremely impressed. <laughs> there you go. I couldn't I couldn't tell you how to get a minute of latitude or an arc second or the fuck that is, but I I know it's like 1.15 or something like that. There's, like, so many words you could use that aren't already used to measure distance or time. Oh, yeah, (laughs) this is a nautical mile. It equals a minute, but not a mile. (laughs) 
but not a mile. It's a minute. How many clicks does that equal? Yeah. How many how many hect acres do you go in a click? Like fuck Fucking, that. Yeah. No, standardize that shit. Yeah. Ugh, whatever. Well, anyway, it's a really fucking bright beam, and it goes really fucking far. Good. Uh, they found out that you needed a lighthouse there when the area was first discovered by explorers in 1755. Mm-hmm. There was a Spanish explorer, Bruno de Hesita. That's how it got its name, right? Um, he oh, was okay. the first European that sailed up and discovered those cliffs, but... You know, like all of our stories in the Pacific Northwest. Hey, guess what? The Indians had been using that land for a hell of a long time beforehand. <laughs> well, um, yeah. Yeah. I guess the, the Susla Indians and then a couple other area tribes used it as hunting ground um, because there are a shit ton of stellar sea lions that live on that beach. And then they also collected birds' eggs. So. Okay. If you'll like eating sea lions and bird's eggs, that was the place to be. But at any rate, this Bruno dude discovers it, and then Europeans are like, fuck yeah, when we move out west, we like that area. So in 1888, uh, settlers claimed a whole bunch of land in that area, and that's when the United States Lighthouse Service approved building a lighthouse there because there are a bunch of rocks right up along the coast, and they didn't want people to keep running into them. Maybe if they'd done that faster, we wouldn't have gotten the beeswax wreck. <laughs> Maybe. But those assholes were slow. You know, it was a bureaucracy. <laughs> um, they didn't build the lighthouse till 1892, and then it wasn't operational till 1894. Okay. And in addition to the lighthouse, there were a couple of buildings. Um, the headlight keeper had his own house, and then the first assistant and second assistant light keepers had... They shared, like, this duplex structure, um, and it was big enough that they could bring their families with them. Wow. And then there was a barn, and there were two kerosene oil storage buildings, because that's how you kept the the flame going for a while. It was uh, kerosene. And they had two barns in case one of them caught on fire. Uh, They still had some oil to keep the lighthouse going. Good thinking. Smart people buildings the other outbuildings have since been torn down except for the assistant light keepers duplex so now on that land the remaining structures are the lighthouse which is still operational and then the assistant light keepers house which is run by the uh, u.s forest service as a bed and breakfast the story goes that Rue was the wife of one of the original assistant light keepers and that her daughter drowned either in the ocean or in the nearby estuary. And, uh, you know, being distraught, she committed suicide. And that her ghost has stayed since. Um, since her death, light keepers, caretakers, and guests have reported seeing or feeling her um she's supposed to be very friendly if not sad Mm. but she's seen on the grounds in the lighthouse and in the living quarters so she roams this whole area yeah um so that's uh that and some other stories that i'll get into here in a minute make me feel like she's an intelligent haunting and that it's not a 
residual haunting, mm-hmm. you know, the ones that just like play over the same thing over and over. It sounds like she roams and she also interacts with people hmm. specifically. Um, almost every caretaker since the 1950s has reported personal experiences with her. Uh, the light since the 60s uh, was automated since 1967 or something. Mm. It was automated, but they still have caretakers mm-hmm. on site. So you don't need to be the dude like lighting the kerosene. You just need to be there making sure that the electricity is still going and that the light is still keeping ships from crashing. Mm-hmm. But anyway, these caretakers have reported feeling a female presence. Um, they've heard a woman scream. They hear dishes rattling or they see uh, not see but they report that windows will be closed when they should have been open or open when they should have been closed you'll get cold spots you'll feel rushes of air but the the sweet thing is that they'll also report that rue will tidy the house oh nice sometimes (laughs) so rue can totally come haunt me yeah i'm so fine with that um how did she die uh, do we know no, we don't. And we don't, um, mm, it's not verified okay. that a woman actually killed herself mm-hmm. there. So I can't find a death certificate or a newspaper article. I don't think there would have been mm-hmm. for a lightkeeper's wife in the middle of nowhere at the time, Oregon. Um, but I can't find it verified. What we do know is there is apparently the grave of a young child on the property. Oh. So people do believe that that is Rue's daughter and that that substantiates the fact that a kid did die there and that uh, I guess a woman would have reason to kill herself Mm -hmm. and be sad enough to stick around as a ghost. Um, But no, don't know how she died. Um, I do know that like a lot of ghost stories, she's apparently most active after renovations to places. Mm-hmm. Have you heard that before? Yeah. That, um, yeah. So if people haven't heard it, apparently that'll stir up energies or it'll uh, shake loose a presence and that you get kind of weird shit happening if you're renovating or redoing. So one time there was a volunteer crew, I guess, that was repainting the house, not the lighthouse, but the assistant light keepers residence and while they're repainting the smoke alarm keeps going off it keeps <laughs> beeping and they get really tired of it um keeps beeping they try to go to sleep because they're going to spend the night there and keep mm-hmm. doing work the next day and one guy finally goes you know what fuck this and he takes the batteries out of the smoke alarm so that it stops beeping and they all try to go to sleep and then the smoke alarm goes off again Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> um Speaking of her being a cleaning ghost, though, the really well-known story about this place is that in the 1970s, there was a maintenance guy working up in the attic, mm-hmm. and he's there's a that window in the attic is what's most associated with Rue. Like I said, she's been seen all over the grounds and in the lighthouse and in the house, um, but what most people report is that they see a woman in kind of Victorian period dress standing at that attic window when they're down outside in the garden um anyway so this worker in the 70s is up in the attic and he looks out the window toward the grounds and he sees what he thinks is is someone behind him 
you know, in the reflection of the window. Oh. And he, he turns around and he says he saw a woman with silvery hair, a gray dress, and it looked like she was floating above the ground. Oh, my. So dude screams. Yeah. Uh, drops his tools, right? This is man after my own heart because this is what you do when freaky shit happens. You get the fuck out of there. Yeah. Um, get out of Dodge. So he books it downstairs and then refuses to go back. He's like, I don't care. I know I'm your maintenance guy. I know you're paying me. Fire me or whatever. I'm not going back up there. Um, and they're like, okay, well, you don't have to go back to the attic. You can do other stuff around the house. So a couple days later, he's he's working on the roof or he's working with the eaves or something. But anyway, he's up near the attic and accidentally breaks the attic window and goes, okay, mm. well, I will fix the attic window, but I'm not going back in the attic. Fuck that. So he actually replaces this pane of glass from the outside. <laughs> And refuses to go into the attic uh, to clean up the broken glass. And that night, the caretakers that are living on site hear this kind of noise going on above them. And go, okay, well, whatever. It's, it's late. We're going to bed. They go and investigate in the morning. And all of the broken glass that was all over the floor has been swept into this neat, tidy little pile in Aww. the corner of the attic and so they say that that was rue helping to clean up uh the glass that's adorable it Isn't doesn't sound sweet? like she wanted to scare him no i don't think she meant to i don't think she meant to at all um that's she doesn't do much other than kind of clean kind of show up to people every now and then they have also see so people have seen her They've seen a, a, a human form, but I guess she's also been seen on the stairs as a gray mist, hmm. which is another commonly reported way that entities manifest is just kind of as this mist. Um, something that's unusual about her is that she's been reported in broad daylight, which, you know, I associate, I think a lot of people associate ghosts with creepy and dark and... Um, Apparently, no. She's just, she's just rude. She's just hanging out. Um, cleaning shit. Mm-hmm. The, like I said, the evidence to suggest that she was a real person, I can't find. Um, I'm going yeah. off of a bunch of online articles. I'm going off of, uh, forums and... You can, I'll link it in the show notes, but there's um, several different forums where people have reported their own encounters with ghosts there. You know, one is a person who's recounting visiting the place on a school trip. So they were in school and they looked up at the attic window and thought they saw a woman standing there. Um, another and then story. they ran faster than Spider-Man. They ran faster than would have thought they were spider-man oh sorry if i got God. quiet there for a minute matt came up the stairs and we'd been talking about ghosts so much that i naturally assumed i was gonna die you didn't well you didn't have last words you didn't try to record that real quick to tell me you know <laughs> poor matt's in the background saying that's just normal because he scares me all the time <laughs> is he like your dad is he super quiet no, I'm just really jumpy. <laughs> He's moderately <laughs> quiet, but I'm extremely jumpy. You are extremely jumpy. 
You really but are. I'm like getting in the zone. I'm trying to just fixate on your voice. So like I've got my earbuds in and I've got the microphone in front of me. I'm sitting on the floor and my eyes are closed and I'm just like picturing Rue and the attic and all the stuff. And I hear crunch, 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 crunch mm-hmm. up the stairs. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. it's over. It's done. I she got into Devin's computer <laughs> and she came through the, the headphones and... <sighs> Is she coming to clean, bitch? I had a good run. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as long as you can go knowing you had a good life. uh, (laughs) As long as I can go on air. (laughs) Yeah, right? Well, I'm, I don't know. I, I worry that you'll die in the middle of an episode and you'll have unfinished business and then you'll just be haunting the internet. You'll be a ghost in the machine, Liz. Oh, I don't want to haunt the internet. It's gross there. It's so gross there. We need <laughs> Rue on the internet. She can clean it up. <laughs> yeah, get to it, Rue. Devin, why do you think ghosts are always, like, white or light gray? Or, you know, if they're going to not just look like a normal person, they are kind of washed out. What do you think that's about? I wonder that, too. I don't know. I mean, I kind of want to romanticize it and... and find um like art meaning in it and you know that's a a, it's symbolically showing the past it's symbolically showing that they're not entirely um of this world you know it's a it's a signal of differentiation Mm -hmm. but why Um, that instead of like light green or whatever is it because we're we're thinking of like black and white photographs it's so dogs can see them too (laughs) (laughs) it's because it's because ghosts aren't ableist and they want to make sure that people who are colorblind are also able to tune into their presence they're like i better appear in grayscale it's cheaper it's way cheaper (laughs) fuck man yeah i don't know what do you think why do you think they don't appear as you know like a a millennial pink wash <laughs> i don't know because you would think that uh, you would think yeah as as though there's yeah. like supreme logic going into this but Definitely. it'd be one thing if you could see somebody and they had all the colors that they would have but they were transparent but i i mean this she's yes. not the only gray lady i've ever heard no, about she's not Mm-mm. gray lady is a huge trope i mean you really hear about gray ladies mostly in uh, Europe, mm-hmm. insofar as spirits go. Um, well, Princess yeah, Angeline goes around as a pink blob sometimes. No way. Yeah, remember that? Well, I mean, I remembered her red kerchief, but I didn't remember that she looked like a ditto from Pokemon. <laughs> well, evidently, sometimes there's like a, a pink or a blue aura that cruises along through the lower part of Pike Place. That's fucking cool. Because I want to just see, like, this happy little pink light mist fog, whatever it is. I just want this little bubblegum happy lady (laughs) to be bouncing around. Well, I don't know. Do you think then it's, um, I mean, gray could suggest if we're, I mean, if we're going to believe in ghosts, like we say we do for the purposes of this show, um, and we're going to believe in auras, and the color theory behind auras, I suppose gray could denote a lack of of intentional energy, mm-hmm. right? So you're not, it, maybe gray is for 
specters that are um, residual hauntings as opposed to intelligent. Hmm. So intelligent would manifest a color, whereas residual would just be this, you know, impression, um, which doesn't necessarily have to have a color to convey what it is. I don't know. Hmm. I'd be interested in having other people talk about that on Facebook for sure. Yeah. Why are they the way they are? I don't seem <laughs> why to be. are you the way you are? Why is anyone? <laughs> what color are you going to come back as? What kind of ghost color? Teal. That's a good one. Yeah. That's. I remember you really liking teal in the eighth and ninth grade. Mm-hmm. You're into your jewel tones. I always, so. I always love it. White teal and not maroon, because you don't want to be all, like, bloody. I think maroon might be more upsetting. I feel like if you saw a teal ghost, you might think it was an alien. <laughs> so you want to answer a mystery with another mystery. Yes. People are like, why is that ghost green? Because she an alien. Because she an alien. I want people to think of, like, 80s <laughs> ski jackets when they see me. <laughs> you know, like, oh some God. hot pink and some teal. <laughs> You want Triangles. to be the laser background on our yes. elementary school photos? Yes. <laughs> That's my aesthetic. You're going to give people seizures. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe ghosts are colors that our human eyes can't see. No, that fucks me up. To think that there are colors that we can't perceive. Like, if I try to invent a color in my head, I can't do that. I don't have enough imagination. When I was a kid, I thought that I could invent a new letter. Well, you know, go for it. Just be Spanish. Put a little squiggle. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it was great because I knew just enough to understand that there were sounds that could not be represented by one letter in English, but not mm-hmm. enough to understand that there were other alphabets that had ways to denominate those sounds if they used uh, them enough. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I remember going I mean, to my speech therapist and be like, what about zh? How'd you write that? <laughs> Why did you have a speech therapist? I had a speech impediment. I didn't say my asses very well. And I'm going to be really weird about them for the rest of the show. Yeah, you are. But yeah, S and Z, I didn't have down very well. No wonder you wanted to know about Z. You weren't sure if that worked. I think that is a bunch of S's and C's. I think think she told me it was a Z and an H, which I would accept. Or maybe a J. Yeah, there's got to be a little bit more in that. Um, I remember telling my mom, why didn't other people, like, why didn't other languages just speak English? Because we were the only language that said what it really meant. (laughs) They were just doing it to be a pain in the ass? Like, yeah, right. Well, what I thought was that you would say, I want, you know, I want to say, I want to go to the library. And you would think that in English in your head. But if you were Spanish, you would think, I want to go to the library. But then you'd have to translate it in your head and say, Quiero ir a la biblioteca. Like, <laughs> and then you do that. Just, so you had like a secret language. <laughs> I don't fucking know what the logic was. <laughs> I don't know. I was dumb. <laughs> All kids are dumb. All kids are dumb. <laughs> they don't know how I anything was... works. No, it's the first time you've ever encountered that. So I do remember my mom, bless her heart, just kind of looking at me. 
Uh, <laughs> so I don't know how I would have responded that to little me either. That's all you can fucking do, man. Liddy the other day right. was like, at night, the spiders that come out of my walls comb my hair. And I was like, oh God, gross. All right. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't know what to do with that. Is that a problem for you? No? Okay. Great. <laughs> I also, okay, as a parent, Liz, help me out because I try very hard to. Uh, I play the hypothetical game way too often. And I'm like, okay, well, what if if my kid says, you know, they're six years old and they're like, I don't identify with the name Kelly anymore. You need to call me Kirstie. All right, fine. I, I, whatever. I will try to be real to your truth. But at what point are you like, fucking bullshit. I'm not calling you robot dog. <laughs> I'm calling you by the name I gave you. Like, what do you, what do you honor as their sense of self? And what do you say, like, your brain is jelly and you are just spouting nonsense? I don't know about age six, but around here, we're always getting like, oh, I'm a kitty cat. And I'm like, I don't care if you're a kitty cat as long as you can brush your teeth. You have to be a kitty cat who can brush your teeth. That's all I care about. (laughs) Good girl. (laughs) If you're a kitty cat who can't put pajamas on, we're going to have a problem. I love that. You honor who they are, but you also tell them what the hard rules for you are. (laughs) I I am a mom who needs a child to brush their goddamn teeth. Yep. So she, I'm always like, you can be a dog, but you got to be a circus dog that walks on its hind legs. That's brilliant. I love it. You do not crawl around this public bathroom, please. Oh, God. Touch me with your little nasty hands. No, super nasty hands. We were watching a movie about vampires the other day, and like I was willing to suspend disbelief through the whole thing about vampires, other than when this stranger in a men's public restroom hears weird noises coming from a stall and gets down on his hands and knees to yeah. peer under the stall to see what it is. Fuck you. You are not putting your hands on a restroom floor. If you hear weird slurping noises coming from a public restroom, you assume... What's happening behind that door is between consensual adults and you leave. Yeah, just there's nothing going on on the other side of that that your life is going to be improved by seeing. No, it doesn't involve you. You're either going to see something. Well, I can guarantee you're going to see something you don't want to see, but you're definitely going to touch shit you don't want to touch. Yeah. So he peed, got on the floor and looked under the stall door and then left without washing his hands. Oh, bullshit. Touching his dingling and the restroom floor. So uh-huh. screw that guy. That was where that whole movie broke down for me. <laughs> oh my god. No. Um, this part of the Oregon coast is cool for another reason. If you want me to just <laughs> yeah. not even try to transition back. Um, uh, I told you that it was an area where Native American tribes hunted sea lions Hasita Head Lighthouse is about two miles away from the sea lion caves. Have oh, you ever been there? No, that sounds really cool. I've been a couple of times. I remember going there as a kid, and then I've been in as as an adult uh, since. But the sea lion caves are, it's this interconnected system of caves and caverns that open up to the Pacific Ocean. Oh. So that 200-foot cliff... You know, from the top is the cliff, and from the bottom are these caves that, with the tide, um, you know, flood or become. There's a lot of rocky outcroppings that are visible when the tide is out. 
Um, but it is, uh, it's this really cool place that you can now, I mean, you have to pay to go see the sea lion caves. You have to enter through this gift shop at the top of the cliff, and then you walk down a buttload of stairs to the grotto entrance, and then you walk through some caves, and then you can look through these, like, natural cave arches that make windows down into the sea cave, which is the, um, it's the actually only known rookery and hauling out area of the Stellar's sea lion. Oh, what's a hauling out area? Hauling out is, uh, hauling out is when they get all the way out of the water and it's what they call a wintering ground. Oh, okay. So they're, they're not spending the majority of their time in the water. They're spending it hauled out on a beach. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's really cool. They make a ton of noise. (laughs) It echoes a whole lot in that cave. Uh, but it's, I mean, it's definitely worth, if you're already on the Oregon coast and you're nearby, go check out the lighthouse, but definitely make a stop to the sea lion caves. They're really neat. That sounds so cool. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know the difference between, this isn't a joke. It's going to sound like it because everything. Okay. I, I was getting like, ready for it. Yeah. Right. Um, do you know how to tell the difference between a sea lion and a seal? No. Uh, there's a couple of big differences, but seals, uh, scoot around on their belly. They do that Mm -hmm. weird fish flop. Sea lions actually can use their large front flippers to kind of, uh, prop them up, you know? So, like, instead of, um, the corpse pose in yoga, Mm -hmm. they're doing, what is that, snake pose or whatever, where you prop yourself up on your front legs, but your pelvis and legs are on the floor. Oh, cobra. Yeah, right? cobra, there you go. People actually do um, yoga are going, oh my god. <laughs> Cindy's listening to this being like, fuck you both. I'm not talking to you again. Send me my keychains um, back. <laughs> <laughs> I want them back. Um, seals have much smaller flippers. Sea lions have visible ears. And then sea lions are the ones that bark. Oh, what do seals do then? Not the meow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what their vocalization is. <laughs> I love it when you build a little road for me of facts, and I'm like, let me go one more step, and you're like, no. <laughs> stop right there. I don't know. I gotta stop telling you all of my facts and hope you ask one that I've been keeping in reserve. So yeah, like the whole smart. nautical mile thing. <laughs> you set that up for me to sound really smart. That was some good shit. You got that. Um, someone who would appreciate me probably knowing what a nautical mile was, was one of the last light keepers, Oswald. Uh, he is my last lighthouse story for the Hasita Lighthouse. I know I went into Sea Lions. I'll talk to you about the lighthouse again. Okay. Anyway, it was 1961 and there's a rock slide at night oh. and it takes out the power uh, line that powers the, um, the motor that makes the light rotate Mm -hmm. so that it flashes out to sea right so oswald climbs to the top of the tower in the dark and he turns the light by hand for seven hours oh my god without taking a break to make sure that no ships crashed i'm gonna steal a joke from rita rudner here but i don't even like doing something i enjoy for seven hours (laughs) 
that's amazing. I don't know how I've never heard that before. I love it. <laughs> you know? Oh, seven man. hours. What do I do for... I sleep for seven hours. Yeah, that's true. I could Probably sleep Probably enjoy seven most hours. of that. I mean, I love eating cake. I couldn't eat cake for seven hours. I love walking on the beach. Couldn't walk on the beach for seven hours. Did somebody come relieve him? Or, like, the sun came up? Or what was the uh, deal? Sun came up. Yeah, daylight. So he got relief with daylight. Isn't he a badass? That is really no. badass. What are you giggling about? Are you? That's a sex joke, isn't it? No, I I don't know why something? it was making me laugh. I think I was just picturing him up there turning this crank, going, "Help, <laughs> guys, <laughs> guys, guys!" <laughs> yeah, he had two assistants for the reason. For a reason, yeah. shouldn't they've been taking like one hour shifts? <laughs> Somebody go Where get was... other help to put this back together. Yeah. Or like, bring me some Ruth? water. She was fucking sweeping the attic mm-hmm. and not helping turn that lighthouse. Light. <laughs> She's probably like, stop sweating on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Rue's going to have to mop that up in the morning. Knock it off. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why that made me giggle so much, honestly. No, oh, I love that it did. You could probably I charge people like a hundred dollars an hour to do that at a gym shoot wouldn't that be good i like the uh i like the gym models where they uh they hook their like treadmills and ellipticals and shit up to the power grid so they can power their own lights yes by people running oh it's brilliant that's pretty cool it's brilliant i love it <laughs> uh you can stay at the hasita head bed and breakfast pretty cheaply it sounds like they're booked out maybe three months in advance but i think it should be on the ouija broads road trip stop yeah whenever we do this giant coastal road trip yeah and if anybody's been to it i would love to hear more about it that you know i only saw photos online looks great looks really really cute and quaint um but i would love to explore the ground see if we can actually find the gravestone uh see the attic you know where rue hangs out yeah maybe leave my pants on the floor in my room (laughs) if i wake up and they're folded (laughs) i don't know tell you what you said you can't even do things you like for seven hours imagine i mean rue must be really fucking tired of tidying (laughs) yeah i don't want to keep doing my job after i die either we've talked about this before No, that, that's not what I'm going to do mm-mm. when I'm dead and haunting places. That is absolutely not what I'm going to be doing. She's the reverse of all those ghosts that, like, knock over glasses and stuff. Oh, well, the next story I have to tell you for another episode, Rue and this ghost could just be like a perpetual motion machine <laughs> because this ghost <laughs> knocks everything over and then Rue's just clean. Power the world so. with ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> There's balance in the universe, Liz. <laughs> it sounds like there is. <laughs> it sounds like there is. Oh, thank God for ghosts like Rue. Yeah. Well, if you'd like to listen to that next ghost story that I just teased a little bit in a future episode, uh, and any other weird, wonderful shit in the Pacific Northwest that we want to tell you about, we really hope that you subscribe to us on iTunes or follow us on Podbean so that you can keep listening to us every week. We are rateable and reviewable on iTunes as well as Facebook. We are also on Instagram. We are on Twitter. 
We put our show notes up on our proprietary website, which is WeJabroads.com. Proprietary. Proprietary. I like how I say that. What does that mm. mean? So official. It means that it's our property. Oh. I think. Yeah, it does now. Right. Does now. Shit. Um, I knew Nautical Mile. Don't yeah. ask me to be smart this late in the episode. I got all my good shit out early. <laughs> um, we still have Lost Treasures of Washington State maps for sale. We are all out of stickers. Whoa. I sold the last and then gave uh, gave away several at the crypto conference. Oh, nice. So we're all out of stickers. I had suggested some Ouija broads, uh, like Ouija board style stickers that people responded pretty well to, but I haven't haven't pulled the trigger on creating those yet. Mm-hmm. So I I would love to know if people would like to see more a different sticker designer if we should bring back the uh, pink Sasquatch sticker. Yeah, or if there's something else that you're like, oh I'm not a sticker person, but I would totally rock a, a Ouija broad t-shirt or whatever um because some of that we can do pre-orders on and we could look into that if that's your jam i think that'd be cool yeah um shoot dude yeah we want to hear about that but we also have three things we want you to do we want you to live weird die weird and stay weird yay (laughs) instead of thank you for listening you cut yay (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>